This is a podcast about time. The time it takes to become an artisan. Heritage. Saving to buy something you'll keep forever. Sustainability. Memories attached to clothing that you've loved and lived in. Interiors. And the longevity of friendship. To us, the true definition of luxury. I'm Lynn Coleman. Join me and my friend Jill Brown as we chat about what makes vintage so special. Welcome to A Guide to Luxury, Season 2. Edinburgh is the granddaddy of vintage. The whole place reeks of the past. You'll find medieval, Georgian, Victorian, modern structures nestled in complete proximity and shopping for vintage in this city reflects that. This is a place I've called home since I was 17, and the shops that I'm about to share are some of my most treasured. Edinburgh is relatively small, so there's no reason why you can't stroll from one store to another, soaking up the sights. So what are you waiting for? Let's go vintage shopping. The Holy Trinity. Everyone has their favourite shop, and I like to think of them as go-to places. For some, it's Armani. For some, it's Primark. Regardless, it's the place that never lets you down. That familiar feeling consumes you as soon as you walk through the doors. Autopilot takes over and before you know it, your card has been accepted at the cash register and that's you for the rest of the day. Of course, my vintage weakness evolved when Madonna was still like a virgin. So it won't surprise you to know that my go-to places have morphed into three go-to places long ago. And I call them the Holy Trinity. In the name of the Father, Herman Brown, the Son, Godiva, and the Holy Spirit, Armstrong's. Amen. When you come to my nation's capital, go native. Do the tourist trail by all means. But what I'm about to divulge will let you have your cake and eat it too. Sightseeing and vintage combined. Godiva, Armstrong's and Herman Brown sit on a kind of continual road from the grass market all the way up to Westport or Westport all the way down to the grass market, whichever way you want to go. Um, and the sights from there, you know, you're kind of nestled in the heart of the old town at this point. So you get the back end of the castle and you get Webster's Land, which is really, really cool and old, but lots of little closes. But then it opens up into the grass market, which, you know, classically in any British city, when something is called something market, that's where they used to trade. So the, the, this part opens up to this lovely cobbled, stoned area um, with a large sort of square around it with quite a lot of actually different buildings, Jill. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's Victorian and Georgian and then proper medieval. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's one of my favourite places in the city to go to. And, and in the summertime and during the festival, it is chock-a-block, but doesn't annoy you for being chock-a-block. It's, it's, very, it's very strange. There are places during peak tourist time in Edinburgh that will drive you crazy. But the grass market, when it's a peak tourist time, actually feels brilliant, in my opinion. Like it should do. Do you know what I mean? Like it probably did. Like it's always been, it's where people gather. It's, it would have been busy 300 years ago. But yeah, it's, it's a funny place, the grass market, isn't it? Because it, it absolutely, like about nine o'clock at night, completely changes as well. Because for me, like I grew up in Edinburgh, it's where I was born. 
and my sort of introduction to the grass market properly was teenage drinking and going out and and you know start, you know going to these nightclubs that have got seven stories that go down like the middle of the the building it's incredible you go in at one level and you go down seven stories and you come out on another street on another level i mean edinburgh's incredible for being built on all those diff- literal levels yeah um and you think you know and i remember people saying to me i don't know how you drive in edinburgh and i was like i don't know it's just it's just what i know but it is, it's it's extraordinary that that mix of architecture that you are you can be on the, the top floor on one street and in the basement and end up in another street. It's- yeah, we, we had that in the, the original Scotsman building, which is now a hotel. It was the, the newspaper headquarters for hundreds of years. Um, but I, And I, I sadly never got to work in that building, which is devastating for me. Um, but I had old colleagues that did. And exactly what you're saying, that's, that's, the, kind of cl- that's the classic cliff face of the old town. And it, it's like it's it's like Everest, isn't it? It's really, really steep. And there's stairs to get you up into the old town. And then it juts back down again at hill level. And that's what takes you into the grass market. So you go up and then down. But yeah, it's that Jekyll and Hyde nature of the closest and what was happening underneath. And one of the best things about Edinburgh, probably not 200 or 500 years ago, was that when they were building the old town, they just slatted on top of streets so there's uh, people obviously Edinburgh's really famous for this you can go and tour Mary King's Close and these were actual streets in the underground which you know gave way to stories like Jekyll and Hyde and Frankenstein and all that kind of jazz but you see that and you see the grass market from the tail end of that so being right at the bottom of the hill. I mean, it must have been reeking back in the day, oh. hence why we were called Old Reeky or why we are called Old Reeky. But it must have, you can just imagine, because those cobbles are not forgiving and they like to have lots of things stick to them, you know. But it is, it's quite, it's, it's quite a, uh, I've never been anywhere like it. And of course, it's my hometown, so I will say that. But it is extraordinary. And, and when you sort of, stand at various points and and, and the number of markets because we've got grass market hay market you know there's and they're dotted throughout the city and as you see you can sort of walk from one to the other almost in a straight line and then and it's all sort of tucked in behind the absolute grandeur of princess street you just would never know it was there yeah it is is quite difficult to maneuver i remember being on princess street um and my ex-husband used to work at the O2 store which is no longer there and on a daily basis he'd come home and he'd be like this is driving me crazy tourists would say where's the castle and you can see it; it's like sitting on a pedestal but obviously what they were meaning was was how the hell do you get to the castle because when you are looking at it from both angles both from princess street and both from classic old town of of the, the grass market and the cowgate you're like how the hell do you get up there a million stairs or the mound and then up on the royal mile but yeah it's but that isn't that genius so what a, what what a, a battlement you know you you know you can see it but you and then when you stand in princess street gardens and you look up it, it's it's sheer it is a sheer you know again that's the other you know the old castle moat is now a garden and honestly if you've not been to edinburgh come but it is an extraordinary place to explore and just wander yeah, and, and the size—the size is small too. Exactly for exactly what you're saying. It's you can walk around this in a day if you wanted to, 
um, or take a couple of days at your leisure and do little bits. But it's not it's not like wide expanses of a Paris or a London or a New York. Um, even even our smaller cities actually in the UK, uh, Newcastle kind of has a similar uh, you know circumference around. Glasgow is huge. You couldn't do that in Glasgow. You would, you would need to get on a bus. But actually, you don't in Edinburgh. You can walk. I really like York and York is quite similar. You know, you've got what appears to be quite a straightforward shopping street. And then behind that, you have the shambles mm-hmm. and it's similar, smaller than Edinburgh, but 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 similar. But yeah, because, you, you know, and I can't even imagine, you know, because I've never had to do it because I know it like the back of my hand. But I can't even imagine arriving in Edinburgh as a tourist and even opening Google Maps because <laughs> it's all layered on top of each other. Yeah. yeah. You, could, you could be standing on, on one of the bridges and be like, well, it says I'm there. And then you have to you look down, you know, a good, what, 100 feet. And you're like, oh, I should be down there. Yeah. Um, How do you get there? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, places like... You know, the cow gate, which are creepy as whatever when you go on a night out. Yeah. But you just sort of accept it. You're just like, oh, yeah, this is this is just Edinburgh. It's, it's wonderful. It's the most wonderful place. But it, then it becomes a great backdrop for vintage and vintage shopping. And you can get vintage everywhere um, in the city. You can go secondhand charity shop shopping, you know, down Leith and all, along Gorgie Road and down Dalry. And we'll get into all of that too. Um, but what I wanted to talk about in the book were the places that pulled my heartstrings, you know, the, the places that I, I frequent all the time. It doesn't mean that they're the best. It just means that I had a connection to them. And so I'm going to open the pages some more, Jill, and I'm going to take you into Herman Brown. Let's start off at the top of Westport, affectionately dubbed the pubic triangle because of certain gentlemen's establishments. Here you'll find the father, Herman Brown. It's dark wooden floors, Sash windows and high ceilings give the feeling of stepping into someone's very elaborate dressing room. Every item is lovingly picked by the owner. Beautiful dresses taunt you from the walls, just daring you to try them on. The railings are sensibly split from tops to dresses or suits to coats. The shoes and belts sit behind the cash desk that itself straddles a Pandora's box of costume jewellery. A glass treasure trove that's stolen many hours of my time. On the tables in the middle of the room, you can rummage through scarfs and hats to your heart's content. But the unmistakable focal point is a bust, a chameleon-like display that appears to change more often than my underwear when I'm wearing some. Right at the back lurks a wham lamp, circa 1983. There's no point in haggling because it's not for sale, but it lends itself to this unique atmosphere. The icing on the cake for Herman Brown is Anna Nicholson, the store's owner. She opened Herman Brown in 1984, selling second-hand clothes simply because new stock at the time was too expensive for her to buy. Her quality control is exceptional, and the clothes from the 20s right the way through to the 90s are in impeccable condition. And yeah, I discovered Herman Brown when I moved here when I was 17. And it's, it's it's still a shop that I adore going into and I've been privileged enough to be able to get into the stockroom which is you know underneath which obviously you can't do to have many lovely chats with Anna over the years and it's it's equally as exciting if not a little bit more exciting under there than it is on the top floor because the top floor is this you know lovely curated space but I'm a messy girl at heart so I like the the chaos of downstairs. And so what's your favourite thing that you've bought there? I have so many things that I've bought from there, but the thing that stands out 
to me from this um, is a red 1950s dress that I actually haven't had on in forever. I don't even know if it would fit anymore. Classic in shape. So sweetheart neckline, quite thick straps, empired at the waist, but, you know, it kind of holds you in. And then not a huge kick out of the skirt, but, you know, a little bit of a kick out comes to the, the bottom of my knees. And it's not by anybody. It was handmade. And you can see that. Yeah, it's 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 been handmade. It's it's just it's wonderful. Fifteen years ago, I bought it. I bought it when I was twenty-ish. Yeah, uh, it was tight underneath the armpit because obviously that classic nineteen fifties bust and shape. It you know it doesn't fit a a nineteen eighties born ghetto. But I could get away with it for a long time. So this is a really years. interesting point that you you make, isn't it? Is 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 the challenge when you buy vintage because. Certainly, I am so far from a vintage shape because I'm well. I was a ten pound four nineteen eighties baby for a start. So, wonder my mother still speaks to me. And the second thing is, I'm five foot nine. So, I'm not saying I'm fat, but I'm quite broad. And so, I remember. I don't want to skip ahead to Armstrong's, but for my 18th birthday, a really good friend of mine, Claire, bought me a dress from Armstrong's from the 60s, Aww. and I still have it, but I don't get in it. It's a size 12 but it's a 60s size 12. Yeah, a 60s size 12 is like a size 6. And I have it and I've kept it because it's beautiful. But there's just, no, I've got far too much shoulder and far too much hip to get into it. So it's a challenge. When you do find a piece, it's great. It is great. I'm just definitely slightly too large. (laughs) I should probably not tell you this because you're going to be like, why do you do this to me every time we talk about bloody clothes? Actually, your vintage searches should probably start at auction sites. And we'll get get into, so Kerry Taylor is an auctioneer down in London and she's, she's in the book. But she does these incredible auctions, you know, once or twice a year. She was one of the first people to ever auction off um, Princess Diana's collection. And she did an Audrey Hepburn collection when the book came out. So she gets collectors who want to sell on, you know, they've been collecting for years and they, they want rid of their things. So you actually should look for vintage around about things like that because the haute couture houses would have catered for certain women you know, taller, smaller, blah, 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 blah. So you will find much more easily fitted vintage in the couture vintage sections than you will on a, a high street version. So I'm sorry, you you have to buy expensive vintage. Sorry, love. So I wore to my graduation ball when I left university a vintage dress, but it was a 60s mini dress. Ooh. And that so, so the, the legs were just out and it was fine. And it, it's actually a really lovely story because I found it on eBay. And this was like 2006. So still the internet was relatively new. You know, you, you had to go, like I used to have to go to the university library to get online. That feels like ridiculous now that we carry it about in our hand. I sound so old. And I remember my boyfriend. She's only 36. And my boyfriend at the time drove me back to my parents. My parents had moved to Dunbar and he's Lothian at that point. We got to my mum and dad's and we were having a cup of tea. And I was like, oh, I must go upstairs to their computer and check whether the dress is still there and up my bed and I went and it had gone (gasps) and I was so devastated I was so gutted and it was going to be a real treat because I was a student and I had no money so and we were staying with my parents for a couple of days and two days later my dad walked into the kitchen holding it (gasps) Uh uh-huh isn't that so nice I didn't know that chill yeah he bought it for me as a surprise yeah and my dad is Mr. Ebay and has always been Mr. Ebay, actually. He, he, he plays guitars and buys parts and vintage guitars online. But he got on board with it really quickly. So, yeah, whilst I'd been driving, for, well, 
whilst Gary had been driving me from St Andrews to Dunbar, he had oh. emailed the seller and paid more than I would have been able to pay for it. And yeah, walked in and was ta-da! Well done, big Nige. I'll have to dig out my uh, graduation ball picture. Yes, so you will. You will. But yes, so I, 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 that's why I wore to my grad. And you know, everybody else, because I, I know I mention it all the time, but you know, it was St Andrews, so everybody else was in these big ball gowns and I went in my vintage 60s mini dress. That's my girl. That's yeah. my girl. <laughs> right, will we, get, will we go down the road to Godiva? Yeah. Okay, so bear in mind that when I wrote this, it was 10 years ago. So it's going to sound like Godiva is very new when actually it's not. Does that make sense? So there, okay. This was its infancy. Yes, it was. It was the start, the start of Godiva's journey. So from Herman Brown, we head 100 yards down the hill towards the sun, Godiva. The newest kid in the block, which actually still is true, sits on the narrow streets at the foot of the grass market, and it's the edgiest way to shop for vintage in Edinburgh. The current owner started off as a Saturday girl in the original premises when she was a student. Fleur McIntosh bought the boutique and moved it to a different location where she had managed to stamp her own twist on the store. When you first arrive, you get this kid in a candy store feeling. Everything is heavenly, from the Victorian cornicing to the gilded mirrors, not to mention the clothes. Godiva is set in two parts. I think of it a little bit like the old town and new town in our city. New designers from Edinburgh College of Art take centre stage while old fabrics are reworked in one-off pieces. There's also the option to have your dress custom made. And at the back of the shop, it's where things really get me excited. Wander through and find old clothes painstakingly repaired or altered, each with a tag calling you and telling you a little bit more about their history. The majority of Fleur stock comes from Europe and there's a crazy mix of styles and decades to choose from. It's like speed dating for vintage lovers. Miss McIntosh's attention to detail makes shopping in Godiva unbeatable. Strangely, I can't remember a time when it wasn't there. A bit like the Victorian fireplace at the back of her room. A new kid on the block that has survived, you know. To be a new kid on the block in 2010, like, my God, during our recession, as we sort of have previously discussed, but then to have survived and and have survived the pandemic as well is fantastic. Well done, her. I popped in um, when I got that brief reprieve from motherhood um, when we could go shopping for the three and a half days that we came out of lockdown um, sort of what was it autumn autumn time yeah Uh, I went in to see her I was with Sherry that's when we bought the the barber that we were talking about in the last episode and we popped in and it was just so bloody nice to see her because I hadn't seen her in so long she's gone off and had kids and I've gone off and had kids the thing that I've always loved about Godiva is that Fleur has a really, really clever eye, like a really clever eye. And she knew what she wanted. She really knew what she wanted to do with the shop. And you see that. And I think that that's what has made people gravitate towards her. And, you know, and she's in a really beautiful position at that, at the foot of the grass market. Um, so she gets a lot of tourist trade too. But she has a lot of loyal customers from the city and a good online following too. So I think that that's really, really helped. You know, being strong in her aesthetic as a buyer has has served well and when we were in the back end of the shop this time round something that because I've been off the circuit for a really long time what I have noticed is that there's a lot of vintage sports sportswear both for men and women so loads of cool like Fred Perry t-shirts and you know vintage tracksuits and um like you know from the 80s and 90s for the first time I was like actually these are 
bloody cool because I you know I remember that being a kid and and running away from it because I liked dresses and, and and frilly things but it's exactly what you're saying it's funny being in the midst of the pandemic now being in loungewear all the time and seeing I've I, I think I've I've taken you through Lever's time scale in the cashmere book but I'll, I'll go over it again so Lever's time scale for for anything about being um, in fashion uh, this really really famous man that, that wrote about it that you know after a year it's not fashionable after five years it's an eyesore after 10 years um nobody wants it anymore and then when you hit the 20 year mark something incredible happens and it becomes desirable again okay so the 20 year mark is always the sweet spot in vintage and you can get you can kind of bank on that happening that that you know now we're seeing the resurgence of of sportswear right at the time when we actually need it right but it's just that 20 year cycle again i mean how big were kappa tracksuits when we were growing up and i wasn't allowed one i didn't like them i the, that does I, not I, surprise me no, i did not but, like them but now but, i'm like oh <laughs> But it's equal, like, when I see, um, so we were laughing because uh, my friend Claire, who bought me the vintage dress, her daughter, so she's got a 17-year-old son, which is terrifying, a 12-year-old daughter, a 10-year-old daughter, and her 12-year-old daughter is almost exactly 20 years younger than us, just slightly more than that. So she sent pictures the other day, and she's dressed like we were, you know, because it's, you know, so she had sort of slightly flary jeans and a cool t-shirt and chokers her back and and all of that and, and it clear had sent the picture because she just dyed her hair but the thing with Elsie is she looks way cooler than we ever looked you know and I see it on young girls all the time it, they're wearing the stuff I was begging my mum to buy me out of Tammy Girl when I was like 14 15 Tammy Girl I loved it it was the I best know. do you remember Clock House too like I love yes. I love the, just the best the best access points being that tween you know between 10 and 13 and you really wanted fashion but you weren't quite allowed to do the thing that you wanted because you were a girl a, a child you know so I get it but yeah no I so so anybody actually while I remember this because I, my brain is like a sieve and I just fart out any memory of of any information so I'll tell you this right now and then we can go back to it if you are thinking that you you want to have a vintage collection or that you maybe want to get into selling vintage, my advice is, of course, you can go and, you know, source at vintage levels. You know, you can go to all manners of places. Um, but my advice, and having done this for 10 years, is get key pieces in sale now and start stocking for 20 years time. And it's just it's just just foolproofing for the future and if you have you have a really really good eye for those things or even if you're just drawn aesthetically to something get them you know and put them away and then you'll have stock for 20 years time and I know that sounds bonkers like oh my god who has that kind of level in time but if you're thinking about this from a uh your own archive point of view right like if you wanted to build your own archive that you didn't want to sell then that's a really really clever way to do that and it doesn't cost you the world. Or go to the other side of that scale. Don't buy a sale thing. Buy something at the top end of your market that you know that you're going to love, but you won't be battering and wearing all the time. And then you'll know that you'll keep that for 20 years time too. 
So it's really funny, isn't it? Because we were we were messaging my friends from school, my two close friends from school, because I've just bought myself a pair of Dr. Martens. Oh. So I've got a patent Chelsea pair of Dr. Martens. Now, I wore Dr. Martens laterally in primary school. It's what my parents bought them as my winter school shoes. And then I had a few pairs going into high school. And my final pair were absolutely gorgeous, black floral DMs. They weren't like... I don't think they were like the 14 eyelet ones. They were slightly shorter. But my parents sensibly were like, they're really good for our feet. They'll keep her dry. They'll, you know, they'll keep her warm. And of course, they've just, they're, they're having this huge resurgence at the moment because you buy them, you break them and they last. You can have yeah. them repaired, all those things. But we were in this group. And so Claire and I wore them as, as children, essentially in early teens, whereas Emma didn't wear them, but wears them now. And Claire was like, we should have just kept because... My feet haven't grown since I was 14. Like, I would mm. still fit in my old ones. Claire was like, we should have kept them. What did we did you get rid of them? Did you get rid of them? <gasps> Doc Martens are the staple of keeping. That's the epitome of, that's something that you keep. I know. Jill Brown. And they would still fit me. That's a really annoying thing is they would still fit me. The Peyton Chelsea's are staying. That's my, as you say, cataloging for 20 years. Yeah. The Peyton Chelsea's are staying. And it's the same thing I think about my slightly problematic, expensive handbag collection. I will leave that to either my daughter or my niece. That'll be my legacy because there'll be no money. <laughs> Do you know, I was I was so sad the other day looking at my three boys. Not that I should be sad looking at my three boys, but thinking, who's going to inherit my wardrobe? They better find a woman who I genuinely love or else this is over. But I, I messaged my friend Katie, who is a stylist. She put up a picture of her daughter. She's called Goldie. And she put a picture up of her on Instagram and she just looked so wonderfully chic. Her and Rafe have a lovely little frisson between a two and a three-year-old. But laterally, when I saw them in the park, little Goldie was running around with a tiny rubes. And so I thought, oh, okay. So I messaged her and said, I'm okay with us um, betrothing a Goldie to one of the boys so that she gets to keep my vintage archive intact, stays in the family. And yeah, and I'm, 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 arranging marriages for fashion how bad is that no but you have to think about these things <laughs> I, I think it's really really important it's very important because I think I spend quite a lot of money on really nice bags I mean they're leather bags they're beautiful they stay in their dust bags and they're taken good care of and I was that'll be my legacy because there'll be no cash <laughs> <laughs> it'll be Rose Cottage and handbags from Auntie Jill slash mum <laughs> oh yeah and on that note I'm going to take you down the road to Armstrong's you ready I'm going to take my hand okay last but not least in my trinity is the Holy Spirit Armstrong's this shop is an institution in Edinburgh and its family of owners are steeped in the history of the rag and bone trade the flagship store has treats and surprises that will keep you captivated and coming back for more. There's a second Armstrong's on South Clark Street, as well as another little gem on TV, formerly known as the Rusty Zip. But there's something so special about the Grass Market store that makes me tingle every time I go in. Once inside, I regress back to a small child in awe of her surroundings. There's an Alice in Wonderland charm to it of pure fantasy, decadence and excess. It's an assault on the senses. That unmistakable secondhand smell of the past just clobbers you with the garments that are crammed into every available crevice. What sets this shop apart from any other is that it could be mistaken for a clothes museum. A small number of the items are on a strictly look-only basis, but feel free to get your hands dirty elsewhere. Armstrong's vast collection may seem a little daunting to the uninitiated, so be prepared to dig deep and push your way through the decades.
it is a magical magical place and you're right it is like a museum like my favorite place to go in London and I can count the number of times on my hand that I have gone to London and not gone is the V&A and I love to go into the Costume Institute and have a wander about and similarly I spent some time in New York for work a few years ago and um, I was so excited so excited to go to the Met and go to the Costume Institute and it was bloody closed oh I've never got to the Met either I've been to New York a million times and I've never been to the Met it's ridiculous. Right. As soon as we can go, we'll leave the children and we'll go. Because I couldn't believe it. So basically, I ended up doing a tour of, of the Met where you could look at fashion in the paintings. And uh, Sarah Jessica Parker was like the audio guide. It was great. But I was like, you are kidding. What? I was in New York for two weeks and it, I'd left it as my final thing. They're like, yeah, they shut it in March to clean everything. But anyway, my point is Armstrong's is like that, but you can get really close and you can touch stuff and you can see it and you can see like the passing of history and the changing of politics and the changing of women's rule. You can see it all. You can see the change in hemlines and it is an extraordinary place. It is. And I don't say this lightly. I have done my research. Okay. <laughs> I have shopped in as many cities as I could have crammed in that year. And then some, you know, later down the line. But I have to say that Armstrong's by far is, for me, the most special shop in the UK. It just is. And it harps back to what I said about the family being steeped in the rag and bone trade. They have had access over generations to tons, like I'm talking actual tons of material, and then ciphering through those what they want for stores and then, you know, going into recycling on the other on the other side of that. And because of that, the archive in there is just insane. It's insane. And what they do, which is clever, is the, you know, it's kind of a two-tier approach. And again, much like the old town and new town and, and going up high and down low for, for running around in the old town, you have that, that height space inside the shop it's not vaulted, but, you know, it's just, it's just really, really high ceilings. So there's stuff that you can see and have reference points to up high. Some things are for sale, some things are not. Uh, that might drive you crazy, it might not. From an archivist point of view, and just for someone who is interested in fashion history, you're absolutely right. To be able to wander through that and to be able to be near that, that level of craftsmanship is, is incredible. And the last time I was in, being able to have in my hand... A Savile Row tailored military jacket, an army jacket that was made for a soldier for on Savile Row, like, and it, it was 15 quid. It was 15 pounds. It, it was missing buttons. You know, it was in the end of a, of a, of a, a sort of out of season stock thing, not out of season. You know what I mean? You know, they're just kind of getting rid of stock. Um, so it needs a little bit of TLC. There was a couple of moth holes in it, but this, I now have a piece of British history sitting in my wardrobe because of Armstrong's. It's incredible. It's just, it's just a thing of, of pure beauty. Mm -hmm. And again, going back to my previous point about if you, if you are thinking about this and if you're thinking about this from a business point of view, then in the current climate of sustainability and where you're getting your things from and, you know, just the, the recycling aspect of, of vintage and clothing it's a sensible place to start you know 
And so you could become the modern day rag and bone equivalent if you so wished. And that, that that kind of excites me, you know, like trailing through hundreds of tons of clothing. Yeah, I don't get me wrong. I love I love vintage shops that are highly curated, and I understand why in those shops that comes at a cost. You know, a, a, a dress comes at a premium. It has been found and lovingly repaired and laundered and then put in a shop, and the shop has to be paid for, and the staff have to be paid for, and that all comes sitting in the cost of that dress. But I absolutely adore the jumble sale nature of mountains of material that are honking, like actually honking and trying to find a, a gem. It's funny, isn't it? Because um, how things sort of re-enter your life. I don't think I've ever said, but um, I teach a fitness class called Pound and uh, sort of every six weeks I sort of redo the set list and at the moment, one of the tracks that we do, one of the lunge tracks where you just basically lunge for three minutes. Um, is, Ouch. Yeah, it's great for you though. Um, is Thrift Shop by Macklemore. And it's really funny because I hear it three times a week when I teach the class. But so much of the song is about the smell involved. <laughs> and that's it. You know, somebody else has worn it. Somebody else has sweated in it. Somebody else has partied in it. Yeah. But make really good friends with a good dry cleaner and you'll be fine. Yeah, but when you're sifting at that level, it's that. It's, I suppose it's that um, vintage store versus vintage store. Sorry, versus um, charity shop. You know, it's it's that. My mum used to like for a little while after she retired, she went to work in a, a secondhand shop in the the town that we grew up in, and she did it for about a year because she was bored. But I remember her saying to me how appalled she was that people would just send their clothes in that like like dirty pants and stuff that hadn't been laundered and and just imagining your mother's face I know right (laughs) (laughs) yeah dirty pants but yeah but that but that's the point isn't it that when you have mounds of that kind of material if you're doing that kind of 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 research to to get you go and get a ton of material for it 20 quid a kilo or whatever you know you, you can go down that route or you can vintage shop but that's the that's the smelly work and that's why we have to give massive props to vintage stores because they do that work for us and it is it's time isn't it to go back to our good old you know there's the time that the clothes have been around for and the time that they reflect but it's also the time and the work that's gone in by the people at Herman Brown or Godiva you know to find those so that you can just go into the shop and and get them you know it's it's a huge investment I know that at the moment we can't travel and we hope you've given you we've given you a little taste of Edinburgh now where would we where would we tell people to go I mean my new favorite place but it's very expensive but my new favorite place for a treat is definitely the Balmoral yeah you love the Balmoral it's like going to the plaza in New York like you can you have to you have to go for a cup of tea in the plaza you can go for a cup of tea or you can go for afternoon tea I think it's the best afternoon tea I've ever had and I've had a lot you're probably going to pay about five pounds more than you would pay for your average afternoon tea for me that's worth it to sit in Pam Court the part of the hotel that you sit in it's an Edinburgh institution so if you're on Princess Street it's at the east end of Princess Street it's underneath a big it's got its own big clock tower and the clock is always five minutes past so that you don't miss your train because it's right it's, next to Waverley it's three it's three is minutes it three past. minutes past but it looks like five because of the 
Ah, so yeah, but it is, I took my mum and my sister-in-law for afternoon tea there um, in between Christmas and New Year a couple of years ago. And it's just an absolute delight and it feels luxurious. And and so I think if you're going to have afternoon tea or a cup of tea in Edinburgh before you hit the shops, and it's a really good point because where the Balmoral sits, you can turn left and cross the bridges and go down into the old town, or you can go straight ahead along Princess Street and just shop. In like your standard high street shops, um, but it is an extraordinary sort of piece of Edinburgh for me. And just one day, I'd like to stay there. I've never stayed. I suppose my picks for eating and drinking, if I was out on a wee shop, if I'm coming out of the grass market, so say I've done Armstrongs, there is the Muscle and Steak Inn. Oh yes. Oh, which is which just is perfect for us because yeah. you like fish and I don't. So yeah. I have steak and you have mussels. It's yeah. perfect if you've got a non-fish eater in your life. And it's it's just gorgeous. This, you know, it's, it's the best Scottish sea- seafood. It's just brilliant, and the steaks are incredible too. But if I was coming back into the city, you couldn't not go to Shea Jules. So Shea Jules is this like French. It, it feels like actually you're just in Paris. It's loud and it's. Um, cramped the, the cramped food. and uh, listen everybody in Edinburgh is the Dark. only place yeah it's the only <laughs> place in Edinburgh that has this vibe of being in London or being in New York or being in Paris you know that when a, a restaurant is like pounding but the food is spectacular like spectacular and uh, yeah it's just great and it's it's ridiculously reasonably priced priced so you you know you've got the expense of the bar model and then you've got you could do the lunch menu at she jewels and it's like a tenner you get three courses and it's so good oh, it's so best. good and it is french and that you get like salad and bread to start and you know they don't take reservations during the festival you can just sort of walk in and they're open till ridiculous o'clock if you're there in the festival but yeah i've never been having grown up in edinburgh lynn introduced me to she jewels and you either love it or you don't like my mum hates it mostly it's the dark She's just like, I can barely see. But I absolutely, you're right. I can't believe I'd forgotten about that. I love it. And it's so good. And see when you're just like, if you're really stood and you would walk by and that is my measure of a fantastic place and why I love when I visit cities or countries and I go, I'm there with somebody who lives there because you would just walk past it. Yeah. You wouldn't know. But honestly, is it Hanover Street? Yes. Frederick Street? Hanover no, Street. It's, it's Hanover on the boat of Hanover. Yeah. That's right, and it and it's sort of in the basement, yellow and red sign, but it's abs it's absolutely incredible, and so and, and we've had so much fun there, so much fun, like so many key moments in our life and and chats, and we've had some some very funny moments in there, which I, which I won't get into because they're very that's that's for a, a different podcast. M- majority wise, we went dancing in the gay clubs because the music was so good. Yeah, so I. I but I've not been dancing in Edinburgh for such a long time. I couldn't. I don't think anybody has, Jill. Well, that's true. That is also true. There, there are really nice up marketplaces on George Street to go dancing, but that's just not where we we opted to go. That's the three stores that I wanted to take you around. But Edinburgh is, you know, a much bigger place. There's a ton of vintage that you can source. You can go down to Stockbridge. Um, Miss Busy was there, and that's wonderful. You can, and then there's there's the charity shops in Stockbridge, which are a wee bit more expensive than the charity shops, say on Leith Walk or Gorgay Road and Dalry Road. So there, you know, there is a. In fact, you know what? Do you know what? I'm saying this right now. I'm giving myself a ton of work. 
I am going to put a little list when I when we put the podcast up 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 on the website. I'll put a list of information on little districts that you can go to. Yeah, and Stockbridge is incredible because it's quite it's quite a wealthy part of the city. So I grew up on sort of the other side of Inverleaf Park from Stockbridge, and we used to go charity shop shopping when we lived there because mm. you would just get brilliant stuff. And we would walk the dog through the park and then wander through. Stockbridge is pretty incredible. Yeah, it's, and it's Morningside Road. Morningside Road is the exact same for that, you know. And but that, Stockbridge is still smack bang in the city. Morningside is you're you're coming out a little bit. And so if you were coming here to City Hop, you might not want to do Morningside, even though it's still you know. If you were to think about it in London terms, actually, you would think that Morningside was just an extension of of the city, which. But you can just walk down the hill. You can walk down Dundas Street from... So you, say you do like the sort of grass market in the Westport in the morning, you could have lunch in Shea Jules and that would be on your way down the hill yeah. into Stockbridge. You just keep going down the hill from Shea Jules down Dundas Street and that's you in Stockbridge. So you could do like town in the morning and Stockbridge in the afternoon. From Stockbridge, then you can come back down via sort of New Haveny and then walk up Leith Walk and do all the charity shops there. And there's a brilliant, lovely little restaurant in New Haven. New Haven's where my whole family are from. They used to um, fish out of New Haven Harbour. But there's a lovely restaurant right on the front called Porto and Fee, which is really good. Yes, so- there is. And the chippy. The chippy on the harbour. Oh, my God. It's the best. The best fish and chips. The best. And they do... Uh, I, I don't know if I've told you this. Have you been? They do a lobster supper. You no, get I'm lobster not- and chips... I mean, it wasted on me. I know, but yeah, totally oh my God, that sounds incredible. I know. Yeah, it's, 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 you know, if you wanted to put your walking shoes on, it's probably what, like a 13, 12 mile loop, maybe? Uh, you'd but be exhausted. You would be. But you would break it up with lots of amazing food and drink and lots of amazing shopping. And you, what a way to see the city. And you would see it in all its various guises because, you know, New Haven wasn't, originally part of Edinburgh they were all separate towns so you do get this brilliant feel for the city and you know New Haven and Leith are ports so they're really fascinating they're really fascinating I love that part it's a part of the city I was born and grew up in so that's why I love it so much but it's incredible and it, it, it is incredible it's, just, it's beautiful it's great to be it's great to get battered by the sea and still mm-hmm. be in the city mm-hmm I know that's it isn't it it's a thing like now I live in the countryside and I'm very lucky when I lived here when I lived in Glasgow was the first time in my life I hadn't lived by the sea because I grew up in Edinburgh went to St Andrews I came back to Edinburgh after St Andrews and then I went to Perth in Western Australia which is literally a a city like it's like a strip right along the coast Mm -hmm. because there's just desert behind you so yeah I do I miss the sea it's it's wonderful so come to Edinburgh when you can and when it's safe but until then I hope you enjoyed. <laughs>